Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. If you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 1. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1062 in that Bible. Gospel of John chapter 1. And I'm going to show you a short uh, movie clip as we get going today. I showed it, I think, a couple of years ago already. Um, it's from the movie It's a Wonderful Life, which is a Christmas classic. And it is a story of George Bailey, who is a man who, when he's young, has great dreams of how his life is going to go, and he's going to be rich, and he's going to travel the world and do amazing things. And it's a story of how, as he approaches middle life, he hasn't done any of those things that he thought he would do. And he finds himself uh, just struggling financially and trying to, to raise a family and uh, not being who he thought he was going to be, not having the prestige or, or positions that he thought he would, not seeing the world. And so in the scene we're going to show here, this is the scene where kind of all of that comes crashing down on George Bailey. Just the weight of all of the years of his waiting and disappointment all comes crashing together in this scene as the Bailey family is getting ready for Christmas. Take a look. Well, Merry Christmas from the Bailey household. Now, that might not be your reaction to the stresses and burdens of life, and maybe you felt that way sometimes and maybe not. But uh, if you haven't seen the movie, you should see the movie because it's an amazing story of redemption and just how he uh, goes from that to the end is just an awesome story of transformation. And as we come into Advent, as we celebrate Christmas, uh, we take time in the Sundays leading up to Christmas to uh, remember and reflect and prepare ourselves. The word Advent comes from a Latin word, and it just means coming. Uh, and so when we come into the Advent season, we are remembering the coming of Jesus. When we talk about the second coming of Jesus, the return, uh, sometimes you'll hear that called the second Advent, the second coming. But we take time to prepare our hearts because Israel had been waiting a long time for their Messiah to come. There had been a long wait in preparation for Jesus. And most of us who have grown up, uh, maybe you grew up in church and maybe not, but there was a time in our lives where we maybe didn't know the Lord. And there was a, a time in our lives where we were searching and where we were struggling and when we were hopeless. And so uh, part of Christmas season is remembering that there was a time when Jesus wasn't here. And, and remembering that darkness so that we can celebrate that light coming into the world. And so we light Advent candles uh, for the next number of weeks as we come into Christmas. And they're meant to be there uh, to remind us that light has come into the world. And they're going to go down slowly over the next number of weeks as the candle is used up. And it kind of serves as a little clock, as a little countdown. Every week we are getting closer and closer and closer. On Christmas Eve we'll light the Christ candle in the middle, which is the, the representative of Jesus. And it's just there to serve as a visual as we go through these services that we are anticipating, we are counting down, we are remembering. And where, again, for those of us who know this story, it's easy to say, well, I know about the shepherds and I know about the angels and I know about the wise men and I know about all this and that, but to allow ourselves just to re-enter the wonder of what happened, because this is miracle of miracles that we celebrate when we come into Christmas time, and we want to make sure that we're taking time to do that. So when we talk about Jesus coming, uh, the title of the sermon today is that the promise is here. We're doing a little mini-series called He is Here, focusing on different aspects of who Jesus is that are coming together at Christmas time. But today's message is the promise is here, because in Jesus, the promise that someone was going to come and set the world right again is finally fulfilled. Humanity has been waiting for a long time at this point 
for something to change. And the promise that God was going to set things right is actually the oldest promise that we see in Scripture. And it goes all the way back to the beginning. And I'm not going to debate uh, how old the earth is or how many years ago this was exactly. But at the beginning of humanity, God creates Adam and Eve. He sets them in a garden. And the Scripture says he creates them to rule with him, to rule over creation alongside him, and to take that role at his side. And so they are to worship him, of course, and love him, but they are created to reign with him. And God blesses them and sends them out, says, be fruitful and multiply, rule over the earth and subdue it. And so they are to do that with God at their side. And if you remember the story, the serpent, Satan, comes along with a temptation. Because although God had given this command and this blessing to rule, God had also set up some boundaries. And, and the heart of the boundaries was he wanted to keep his kids safe. Like any good parent, you say you don't do certain things because these things are harmful to you. So God set up boundaries that were meant to keep his children safe and keep his children close to him. But the serpent came and lied and said, you don't need those boundaries. You can do whatever you want. And if you cross those boundaries, life is going to be better on the other side. So be willing to take that step. And it says that the woman and the man are deceived and they cross the boundary. They, they eat that forbidden fruit, and they go where God never wanted them to go. And the heart of all sin is exactly that. The heart of all sin is, I don't need the Lord. I can do what I want. And Isaiah put it this way. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We have all said to God, in one way or another, I don't need you. And so don't imagine that if you were in the garden all those years ago, you would have reacted any differently, because you haven't. You have lived your life crossing the boundary. You have lived your life making the same mistake, walking into what we call sin. And so as Adam and Eve cross that boundary into sin, uh, there are consequences right away. God shows up and there are consequences. And if you read through Genesis, you'll see what those consequences are. One of them is God says, I can't let sin live forever. So mankind who was created to live forever is now going to die. There is going to be a mortality to the human existence. Death has entered the scene. And where they were to walk right beside the Lord in intimacy and communion with him, they were now cast out of paradise and they lost that connection. And God speaks to the man and says, life is going to be hard now. You're going to labor and toil. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to exist. And the world is going to be full of thorns and thistles for you. Life is going to be difficult. Women, painful childbirth is coming for you. Men are going to dominate over you in this life. There was consequences that fell as a result of what they did. These were things that God never wanted for them. But as they crossed the line into sin, that's what fell upon them. But there was a consequence for the serpent, for Satan as well. And God holds Satan to a higher account because Satan knew better, right? The mankind was deceived, and they still pay the price for that. But Satan knew who God was and knew what was going on. So the consequence is more severe. And God's commitment is that Satan is going to be ended at the end of this story. And in Genesis 3.15, God speaks to the enemy and says, I'll put enmity between you and the women. I'll put conflict, tension between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you'll strike his heel. So there's going to be conflict between Satan and humanity forever, but one is coming. An offspring of the woman will come. An offspring of the human race will come who will crush the head of the serpent forever. 
This is the first promise in Scripture that God is going to come and set things right. And you'll notice it happens the minute sin enters the world, the minute humanity screws up, the minute we say we don't need God, and death and separation from God and a rough life fall upon us because of that, the minute that happens, God shows up and says one day someone will be born who will crush the head of the serpent and set everything right. A Savior is coming, God has promised. And he promised it from the very beginning that the problems began to enter the world. So the promise is made right there, and there are many more promises to come. And as Jesus is born, the promises are all fulfilled. The Savior that was beginning to be talked about at the very beginning has finally arrived. Let's take a look at our text this morning. We are in John chapter 1. We're starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That's a great Christmas scripture in a nutshell. True light, light is coming into the darkness. Light that is available and offered to everyone. Light that is coming to all humanity is coming into the world as Jesus is born. And Israel has been waiting for this for a very, very, very long time. That from the very beginning, that first promise that came in the Garden of Eden, that said one day one born of woman will come and will crush the head of the serpent, there were many, 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 many more promises made along those lines. And they were all pointing to the fact that this Savior is coming, uh, who we call the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. This promised one is coming. And there was a lot that the Old Testament had to say about this promised Messiah. And some of it is kind of vague, and some of it is really specific. The Old Testament says, he will be born in Bethlehem. He will be born under the Roman Empire. He will live in Galilee. He will be a Nazarene. He will work miracles. He will reach across the borders to not just Israel, but to the Gentiles. He will be pierced. He will be crucified. He will die and, and be looked upon as a guilty one, even though he had done nothing wrong. And so these scriptures are there, and they are, are all pointing to this promise, this promise that is going to come. Uh, scholars debate about this because that's what scholars do. They like to fight and debate all the time. Uh, but somewhere between 200 and 400 Old Testament prophecies are there referring to the Messiah. And the reason that there's a discrepancy is because some are, are kind of more vague than others, and so scholars will debate about, well, was that just about King David, or was that actually pointing to Jesus? And so there can be some disagreement on that. But there are hundreds of promises given about this Messiah to come. There are hundreds of promises there saying that there is a Savior coming to set things right. 
And so the people of God are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for this. And so I am not a numbers guy, if you know anything about me. I like words. I don't like numbers so much. And so I, I haven't done the math on this because honestly, I just don't know how. But there was a Christian professor in the States uh, a number of years ago. He was uh, a mathematics professor and he was an expert in statistics. And so he used those gifts to apply to scripture and he decided to crunch the numbers and figure out what are the odds of one person fulfilling even eight of those prophecies, right? Not 200 to 400. What are the odds of one person fulfilling even eight of these promises? And so uh, he looked at a few of the promises that we can verify by history. So not the faith stuff as much, but just the fact that uh, you know, one would come who'd be born in Bethlehem, who would minister in Galilee, who would be pierced, and that's how he would die. He would live under the Roman Empire. So he picked some sort of verifiable specific ones. What are the odds of one person fulfilling just eight of those promises? And the odds came out as one in 100 quadrillion, which is a number I don't even understand. That doesn't even make sense to me. And that's just eight of them. And if you read through the New Testament, the constant testimony of the New Testament is that Jesus fulfilled far more than eight. He fulfilled the fullness of all of these promises. And, and even those who don't believe in Jesus, even atheists who would not acknowledge the divinity of Jesus, will acknowledge that there was a man named Jesus, and he was born in Bethlehem, and he lived in Galilee and ministered there, and he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. So even taking the faith side out of it for a second, just the fact that Jesus lived out these things is just staggering uh, that it could just be a coincidence or that this could not just be what it we believe it is which is just such a God thing coming together and all these promises coming together in Jesus being born so the people of God are waiting on these promises. Where is the one that was promised from the beginning? Where is the one when God in the garden said, someone's going to be born to save us? Where is that one who's coming to crush the, the head of the serpent? Where is the one who's going to be born in Bethlehem? Who's going to bring forgiveness? Who's going to bring us back to God? Who's going to release the blessings of the kingdom? Where is the one we are waiting for? And in all the time between the Garden of Eden and the Christmas story, the world is in darkness. The world is in a dark place. The world is a hopeless place. And, and God graciously gives snippets along the way of revelation and, and, and offering of forgiveness and blessings, of course, along the way. But they are waiting, Father, where is the, the promise that you promised? Where is this thing that you have talked about? And even though we know Jesus has come, and even though we know the end of this story, at the same time, we understand as well that this walk with Jesus is going to call us to this place of waiting sometimes. And maybe you can relate a little bit, not to the thing that was being waited for, because we know Jesus has come, but maybe you can relate a little bit to that feeling of, God, where are you in this situation? How long until this prayer get answered? When will I see that scripture I've been standing on fulfilled? When will I see that promise that you gave me? When will that come to pass? The people of God are awaiting people. It is the testimony of scripture. God does not always act instantly the way that we would like. And so we need to get comfortable with that waiting. We look at our kids sometimes, and I'm sure every generation looks to the next generation and kind of goes, eh, when I was a kid, blah, blah, blah. I am so shocked to hear that come out of my mouth sometimes. Like, that's what my parents did. I'm not supposed to do that. But I do look at our kids sometimes. Our kids don't even have to wait for cartoons anymore. Because you remember a time when cartoons were on Saturdays, right? Or, or maybe midweek. And everything's on demand now. And Sarah and I will sometimes have the conversation like, oh, like where are our kids going to learn patience when they don't even have to wait for a show to watch? 
because everything is just instant. And I have such a clear picture of my daughter at about 18 months. She still had a soother in her mouth. She was walking at that point. And she was standing in front of our TV, and there was a TV show on. And she's starting to throw a tantrum at the TV screen because she's swiping it, and nothing is happening. So she's trying to get to something else. And I'm going, oh boy, kid, how are you going to learn these things? The people of God are awaiting people. And even now we wait for the second advent, right? We're not waiting for the first advent, but we wait for the second advent. Beyond that, we are waiting for whatever you are waiting for in your life. Whatever you are praying for. When is the prodigal coming home? When is the healing going to come? When is the breakthrough going to be there? When are the finances going to show up? We are praying and waiting and trusting in God. Part of the power of the Christmas story is the reminder that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. God is faithful to do what he said he would do. And as John is walking through uh, the first few verses of his gospel, he starts with an unusual turn of phrase, uh, verses 1 through 3. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And so in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. That's Jesus he's talking about. Jesus is given the name the Word here in these few verses. And, and John makes very clear, in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Somehow in that mystery of Trinity, Jesus one with the Father, but also distinct from the Father. But Jesus was there in the beginning. So John isn't, like, easing us in to who Jesus is. He's not warming us up in any way. He's starting, no, just so you are clear, what I am proclaiming to you is that Jesus is God, Jesus has always been, and Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the one who made you. There is no kind of, well, we'll just talk a little bit about history, and we'll get there along the way like some of the other gospel writers do. We're jumping all in on the theology of who Jesus is right off the bat. And so as that is happening, uh, Jesus is given this name, the Word, right? Jesus, the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, when we talk about the Word of God, usually we use that phrase to talk about the Bible, right? We talk about the Bible as the Word of God. We don't usually talk about Jesus as the Word of God. We'll talk about him as the Son of God, uh, or the Lord, or the Savior, the Redeemer. We don't usually use the phrase Word of God about Jesus. We talk about the Bible as the Word of God. And we're standing upon the Word, and we're studying the Word, and we're wrestling with the Word, and we're preaching the Word, and proclaiming the Word, and calling down the promises of the Word, and we're talking about the Bible when we do that. So why is Jesus given this title, the Word of God, if the Bible typically is what we call the Word of God? When the Bible comes, Scripture says it is God-breathed. It is inspired. It's not something people just made up. It's something that the Holy Spirit revealed to prophets, and they wrote it down for us, and we have these words still. The Bible is the Word of God. It is a, a word. It is a revelation that comes to us from God, and it brings to us a revelation of God. It shows us who God is. So it's a message that is written down, that comes from God, that points us to God. And it shows us in Scripture God's heart, his character, his holiness, his love, his power, his plan, his commands, his statutes, the way he wants us to live. So it tells us, we trust, it's in our statement of faith, that the Bible has everything we need to know. And it's not that God can't speak to us in other ways, but the Bible is our final authority on things. It's everything we need to know about who God is and what he wants from us in order to live a life that is pleasing to him. The Bible is a revelation from God that brings to us a revelation of God. 
Now, like the Bible, Jesus, too, is a revelation from God that brings us a revelation of God. The Bible is a written message from God. Jesus is a living message from God. Jesus comes to show us who God is, just like the Bible comes to show us who God is. But where the Bible is written down on paper, Jesus lives out who God is and what God wants in real life and in real time. And so as we are struggling sometimes with the scripture, and some of these passages are hard to understand, and, and what do we do with this, and this and seems to contradict with that, and how do we kind of wrestle through these passages, we look to Jesus, because Jesus is this Bible lived out perfectly. Jesus is the word lived out. And so if we are ever struggling, that old question, WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's still a really good question. The bracelets were cheesy, and I didn't care for the commercialism around it, but the question is still the right question. What would Jesus do? Because Jesus brings us a revelation from God that brings us a revelation of God. It's a message from God that shows us who God is and what God wants from us. And so uh, in that sense, it's appropriate to call Jesus the Word. The Bible is a written message from God. Jesus is a lived-out message from God. And they both show us the same thing. Who is God and how does he want us to live? The author of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's one of the great passages of the New Testament. So as we are uh, just wrestling through this a bit, Jesus comes again. The author of Hebrews emphasizes he is the creator, uh, not just a prophet. He was not created himself. He is the creator. He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. In the past, God spoke through prophets. Prophets spoke to us about God. But in Jesus, God has come face to face with us. And so we use this analogy sometimes, and it's not a perfect analogy, but it's a decent one, that uh, George Washington was the first president of the United States, and he lived in a time before photography, so all we have are paintings of him. And so different uh, artists would paint him in different ways. So here's some pictures of him at various seasons of life. He's at different ages in this. And so each prophet's, er, prophet, each artist's take is a little bit different, but if you look at them all, you go, man, they all seem to nail the exact same nose, right? The exact same lips, similar chin, similar eyes, hair that I'm jealous of, if I'm being honest. Like, they all might emphasize things a little differently, but, I mean, when you put them beside each other, you're like, okay, I've got a pretty good idea of what George Washington is like. They are, they are painting what they see, and as they paint what they see, they give us a picture of who he is. But even that being the case, if you really wanted to know what George Washington looked like, the best way to do it would be to see him face to face, right? That would be the best way. That would be the clearest way. That would be the most obvious way. And that, in essence, is what has happened in Jesus. The, these artists have all maybe emphasized something a little differently. Uh, the author of Hebrews says, in the past, God spoke through the prophets in lots of different ways. And if you look to the prophets of the Old Testament, each one of them emphasizes things a little different. They don't contradict each other, but they just have a different emphasis. So Amos is very big on the justice of God, and Daniel's very big on the sovereignty of God, and Isaiah loves the glory of God, and Moses is the law of God, and the holiness of God. And so they all bring us a different picture that helps us to know who God is. 
And if you put all of those pictures together, you get a great picture of who God is. But if you want to get to know God the best, the best way to get to know him is to see him face to face and to see what he's like and to see what he says and to hear his voice. And so as Jesus has come to us, that is what we have. If we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. If we're not sure about God, we can just at least start with Jesus. And when Jesus speaks, he speaks the word of God. And when he acts, he acts as God would act. And the heart that we see in him is the heart of God. And the mind that we see in him is the mind of God. If we want to get to know God better, we just need to get to know Jesus better because Jesus is the exact representation of his being. And so as, Paul, as John is wrapping up his passage, he says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus, the revelation of God, the one who came from God, the one who shows us who God is because he is God, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus, who was in heaven at the beginning, who created everything, took on the flesh that we all have. And he lived the full human experience, even starting from a baby, even just starting from that basic point. And the Greek word there for made his dwelling, it literally means tabernacle. Jesus tabernacled with us. And the tabernacle in the Old Testament was when Israel was wandering through the wilderness, they needed a place to meet with God. And because they're wandering, they're in tents and everything is kind of in motion. You're not going to build a big building, a big temple at that point. They would do that later when they settled in the promised land. So they had a tabernacle in the wilderness. And it was basically the exact same thing as the temple that was going to come later, except you could collapse it really easily and take it with you. Uh, so you're not going to build a temple in the desert when you're going to move on from that spot. But the tabernacle would move with you, and it was the meeting place of God. It's where the glory of God rested, and it's where they went to offer their offerings and sing their songs and, and worship God in that place. And that's the picture that John uses. He uses that word specifically. He doesn't just say, uh, you know, Jesus came and, and became a man. He says Jesus came and tabernacled with us. Jesus came and set up a tent here on earth for a little while. Jesus wasn't going to stay here. He was going to return to heaven. But for a little while— the word, Jesus, became flesh and tabernacled among us. He set up a tent amongst humanity, and he lived that human life with us. And again, lived the full human life from infancy on. And as he lived his life, the scripture is very clear. He lived in every way that we did, except he didn't cross those boundaries into sin. But he lived as we did. He grew as we did. He suffered as we did. And so never again can anyone say God doesn't understand because God became flesh and lived among us and, and hurt as we hurt. He was betrayed as we were betrayed. He was lied about like we're sometimes lied about. He carried the physical pain that we carry in our own bodies. He had the full human experience. And that can be tricky sometimes. I had someone at a previous church once say, I mean, if he had the full experience, that means Jesus wasn't potty trained. Like that means, like, if you've had a kid, there's times of explosive things going on down there. It's hard to imagine the creator of the world entering into an existence like that. And it is. But that's the point, is that he didn't have to do any of that. Way easier just to stay on the throne of heaven and receive the hallelujahs of angels for all eternity. Way easier to do that. But he knew that our sin needed defeating. And he knew that he was the only one who could do that defeating. 
And so he entered into our experience with us. The word became flesh. He set up a tent on this earth for a little while, not permanently. And he's returned to heaven now, but now we tabernacle with the Holy Spirit. We can engage God anywhere. We don't even have to be in a church building to do that. The Holy Spirit can meet us anywhere. And as Jesus is born, that first promise, one day through the offspring of the woman, one will come who crushes the head of the serpent. The promise that he'll be born in Bethlehem. The promise that he would come to save his people. The promises that were going to be fulfilled throughout the life of Jesus. That he was going to be a Galilean. He was going to be a Nazarene. He was going to be a teacher. He was going to be a miracle worker. All of these things that happened under the Roman Empire, which is also promised, leading to his crucifixion, which was also promised. All of these promises are coming to a head in this baby that is born in Bethlehem. And this incredible, miraculous thing that we don't even really understand, where heaven is engaging with earth, where the spiritual is engaging with the physical, where the eternal is becoming temporal, and every promise in God's word, it's all crashing together in this baby born in Bethlehem. And the sound of that is not a roar or a thunder. The sound of that is that weak, whiny, pathetic cry of a newborn baby, just like every other newborn baby that has ever existed. God is showing up in the most unlikely way possible to enter into humanity with us so that through his humanity, he would crush the head of the serpent forever. And so as Jesus comes, he shows us who God is, first and foremost. But Jesus reveals things two ways to us. The first thing he does, he represents God to us. He represents God to humanity. He shows humanity, this is what your God is really like. But the other thing he does is he represents to God what humanity was always supposed to be like, what sinless humanity looks like. He shows that to God, and he shows that to us as well. That as he shows to us, this is what your God is really like, he shows to the Father, this is what a human life was always supposed to be before Adam and even the rest of us crossed that line into sin. And so we look to Jesus' example and say, okay, so you are showing us what our God is really like. You're also showing us what we are really supposed to be like. And the Bible says that as we put our trust in him, we become a new creation in spite of our sin, in spite of our brokenness. We are made new so that we can be that person we were always supposed to be, the way that we were created to be. So Jesus shows us who God is. He shows God this is what humanity was always supposed to be. And so we can trust him when Jesus says, follow me. He says, follow me. Follow my example. Follow my teaching. This is the way it was always supposed to be. And it's not always easy to follow his teaching, but we trust that his way is right and his way is good because he is God showing us the way that we were always supposed to live this out. In Jesus, the promise has come. And we were reminded that his promises are good. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done here today. If you have any questions about the message today, just quickly before we wrap up, we have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. We'd love to take time to answer those with you. We can get together or do it by email, but uh, we always like to take time to keep talking about the message. We want to keep that conversation going. So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The promises of God are coming to pass as we celebrate Jesus. And all of that waiting and all of that anticipation have not been for nothing. All of that waiting has been in preparation of this coming to pass. And so we are reminded of that. We look at the countdown. We remind ourselves of what anticipation feels like. But wherever you are at today, we're all waiting for something, right? We are all looking to God for something. When will my child come back to the Lord? When will we see this breakthrough happen? When will we see our, our situation get better? Lord, where's the promise? Where is it going to be fulfilled in our lives? 
And part of the power of Advent is reminding ourselves that just like in Jesus, those 200, 400 promises of God are all coming to fulfillment in him. We're reminded at Advent that God keeps his promises, that God's word is good, that he is faithful, that he was faithful to bring Jesus about. Uh, and if that was enough for him, then nothing we're facing right now is going to be a problem if he could bring Jesus about. And so we rest in the faithfulness of God and we worship the word who became flesh. And we're going to worship him a little bit more before we go today. So would you stand to your feet with me, please? The words will be up on the screen. I got to tell you, that song, Come Let Us Adore Him. That's powerful, isn't it? And this is a season, not just at Christmas, but we should be adoring Christ all the time. And as we wait and anticipate Advent, as we wait and anticipate what Christ is doing in our lives and for his return, let's dive into the kingdom work that he has in front of us as we try to provide hope for people in our lives as well. And as you look at these candles here as a symbolic reminder uh, that Christ one day will be here, and that's going to be exciting. I don't know when the date is, but he's coming. And as we enter this season of hope, I pray that we as a church can be that for people sitting beside us in our neighbors and our communities as we go and serve Christ for his glory. And it's exciting, isn't it? Uh, but it's also hard. We recognize that Christmas can be hard for people too. So as we gather here today and as we wrap up the service, we have people also available to come pray with you. They'll be available to walk with you, to encourage you. If you're facing any hardship during this time of year, uh, they are, will be available up front. I just want to encourage you and pray with you today. And we ask you too, if you're feeling that today, not to leave here without praying with someone. Uh, we want to create a sense of community here and people up here are available to do that with you. And as people are coming forward to pray, we encourage you to visit out in the foyer and down the hallway as well. And again, a reminder tonight, we've got our baptism service at four o'clock. We're looking forward to that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can adore you. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you for the hope of the season. Thank you that the word became flesh and that, Lord, you are that. And thank you, Jesus, for your love and for each one here today. And I pray, Lord, today as we go into our day, as we head off into our week, I ask Jesus that just by the power of who you are in our lives, that you would interrupt our lives for your kingdom, that when people come alongside us that we weren't expecting, that just show up on our door or make a phone call to us, that we'd enter that with hope that we can give them because of you. And so, Lord, thank you for those providential moments. Thank you for what you're going to do tonight and all of our candidates getting baptized and joining Meadowbrook. What an amazing thing you're doing, Jesus. We're grateful for that. Thank you for each one. Uh, Jesus, be the glory to you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Have a great Sunday, Meadowbrook.